la la la. How, uh, how are you there in Naples, my friend? Uh, doing just fine. How's that red beret doing for you? I'm very happy. I always like when I have an excuse to wear my red beret. And it and it isn't frequent, people, because you, I know that the Seattle people won't relate to this, but God damn, it's hot here all the time. Like, I wish I had reason to wear anything knit. I don't wear knit. Like, if North I Carolina. weren't sitting in air conditioning, this would not be feasible. Well, that would be true. Welcome to Monday Night Generational Change. I'm Peter. I'm Jen. And I just did it backwards for once. <laughs> Jen, uh, did we have any news stories today? I don't know. What were we going to talk about? What was it you wanted to really talk about? I, I, I mean, we could talk about it with the group because I do think that there is a lot of relevancy to um, both Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon being fired because I do think that <clears throat> the sort of like the key message here is what's going to be lost on everybody is like, why were they fired? Uh, not really sure anybody really understands this, but uh, the second you get in the way of corporate media making their money in the case of Tucker Carlson, probably being directly responsible in a number of ways for the massively large lawsuit that they lost to Dominion, as well as Don Lemon being a complete, uh, you know, like completely useless uh, in regards to ratings. Uh it's all about the bottom line for corporate media. That is all that matters. There yeah. is nothing. I can say though, that neither of these things affect me in any way as I have not, I have watched neither of those people's shows. So I don't have any concept. I mean, I know who Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon are, but I've never, like, I don't watch. You mean to tell me that on a weeknight at like eight or nine o'clock, you don't want to spend at least an hour or two of your time watching, you know, drama, filled news <laughs> no you know i don't watch that brain poison man i can't that shit's toxic toxicity for the brain i can't have that i can't have that i can't watch like i can't watch pedestrian news that's well, just not like um you know it's kind of like the viral tweet that we put out today regarding the primary and the fact that they do not want to have a primary uh against president biden uh which is understandable. Well, uh, right, but they they just simply said they're not having debates, right? And by doing that, you're basically just telling people <clears throat> that even though the numbers say pretty clear that the majority of Democrats do not want Joe to run again, and he, because of what I believe has a lot to do with the scare that they're already getting from RFK because he's already at 14% in the polls and he literally just launched. Uh, so now Joe's going to launch apparently this week. I, I heard it's tomorrow, but you never know. Uh, the point is <laughs> the fact that they think that this is going to help them win next, no, the, the following November, it's got, it's a election season's way too long. Uh, the fact that they think that this is going to help them win the following November, it isn't, it's going to hurt them a lot. And yeah, I don't think it matters either way. Have a primary, don't have a primary, have a debate, don't have a debate. It doesn't really matter. There is nobody in their vicinity that can beat any of the mainstream people that the right will pick. Although it's I just not going to happen. There's no, no they have nobody. No, actually, you're wrong, because there is a way that President Biden could theoretically win reelection without question. And that is if he were to actively pursue and by executive order, if necessary, push for a universal health care system. Well, that is something he could do, but he won't do 
and <laughs> corporate special interest be damned. I have a list of, I have a demand list, you know, of I course. have a demand list. That's definitely at the top of my demand list. But I mean, honestly, yeah, there's, there's we a myriad of things. If we just got that, that'll be enough. You know, I'd be happy if you didn't here. fuck the railroad workers. I'd be happy if you didn't just fuck and the And there comes our monetization. So that's it for tonight. Uh, <laughs> but there will obviously be a lot of cursing that will go on. Because Lord knows with the guests we are bringing in, if anybody knows what it means to deal directly with the futility of our for-profit health system, it is our friends that are part of the Red Berets, as of course Jen is wearing hers. Courtesy so, of Fran. Yes. Without further ado. I always say that. I always do the shout out. And I don't, and I don't think I've ever even met her, but I just know that's who it was of them that made Fran this. Fran is from Florida. So, you know, we do have a red beret person down here. Really? Not always lost in the Sunshine State. So. All right. So without further ado, we are pleased to welcome a trio of what I would call real freedom fighters in the United States, trying to give us our healthcare freedom that we so desperately need. Laura Fielding, Kenny Ballantine, and Scott DeSorners, welcome to Generational Change. Oh, and I got one more that's like off the screen. There you are, you Scott. Got? There you go. Hey, guys. How's it going? It's good. How are you all? Great. Thanks I'm for having great. us on. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, you're noticeably without beret. You with I know, I know, I know. I am just so vain and I hate how I look with headphones on and a beret at the same time. But I swear, oh. I, every other moment of my life, I have a red beret on. Because <laughs> Laura really rocks it. Laura really, like, honestly, you could look, almost be she's like... She's completely crocheted. Look at Laura's, like, a head-to-toe crocheted. Yeah, no. She could That's, be, like, honestly, you could definitely look, like, you kind of look Scottish, the whole thing. You definitely have it And look, Fran, uh, Fran had just said hi to everybody. Oh, that's so cool. Um, yeah. Jen, you must meet Fran. She might be the greatest person I've ever met. She's amazing. I still remember, yeah, see, <laughs> Fran. So yeah. I think the best place to start, and everybody, Scott, I know you're in New York. Kenny, where are you? I'm in Northern California. Okay. So we've all, well, go figure, right, Jen? We have three of the states that have attempted to push forward a statewide universal health care system. Yeah. Uh, not to be biased, I was born in New York. I do think that the New York Health Act is the one that probably has the most momentum at this current juncture. However, uh, all the efforts that are being put forward in Washington State, California, and obviously on the East Coast in New York, I think have had their run of it, um, you know, to say the least. Where do things currently stand where you guys are regarding the current status of pushing for a statewide universal health care system? Because Lord knows nothing's happening on Capitol Hill for some time. Laura, you should go. Laura, oh, I should go. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Well, my focus has been uh, so much on New York Health Act because we just, can you hear me? Oh, yeah. Okay, perfect. Um yeah, um, so we're kind of um, the last thing with whole Washington uh, last winter, we wrapped up initiative I-1471. Um, and we're kind of in the process right now of um, forming different um, teams so that volunteers can uh, determine where they want to uh, invest their volunteer energy. So um, 
let's see, we have um, an initiative team and a kind of national Medicare for all, like how to get really organized. Whole Washington, as most of you probably know, has always been a real fight on all fronts. Um, uh, has been at the Medicare for All hearings. Uh, we've done um, helped organize barnstorms in support of Rep. Jayapal's um, federal legislation. So we've always like walked that walk of being not only local healthcare justice organizers, but um, working to um, put pressure for the national uh, with whatever volunteer hours that we had. Um, so that's another one of the teams is the um, Medicare for All team. And so I said team initiative, uh, team Medicare for all, and then the um, hmm, legislative. So working on pressuring um, and lobbying legislators. And then, um, hmm, why is my mind not working so well? Uh, probably the one that, hang on one second. Something fell, right? Don't you guys think something fell? The live stream, you never know. It was my, it was part of my headset. Yes, so, now we can hear you again. Okay. <laughs> All right. And so um, the other one is the uh, commission, the, the commission team to kind of help um, pressure or support the commission. I don't want to take too much time with this, though, because okay. um, I, uh, I'd rather kind of move to where the Red Berets have put more recent action, a bunch of us traveled out in solidarity and support of, um, uh, of Scott's action recently that happened in New York in support of uh, the New York Health Act. So I'll pass it on to him for that. Thanks, Laura. Yeah, with New York, um, we've had the majority support in both the Senate and the Assembly. And what seemed to have happened is even though we have um, the Democratic majority in both of those houses, the speaker and the leader decided not to call these bills for a vote and actually wouldn't even let them get out of the health, health committees. So they're being stalled, you know, by top uh, pe people on the top. And this year, um, recently, we had an overturn in the campaign where they had found um, – they decided to change over the chairs and they had no chair for the campaign for a couple of months now. So communication is broken down, but just last week they found a new chair and they're haven't officially um, announced it until after the bill, uh, the budget bill. So we're waiting a couple of weeks for them to announce a couple of smallest groups know who it is. And she's actually been very helpful. Um, and Laura was talking about the recent action that we had, which was on April 9th in New York City for the New York Health Act um, and Medicare for All nationally, actually combined universally different states. Um, as you had mentioned, you we got New York, we've got Washington on board, we got California. Uh, the Healthcare Solidarity Apple is actually a representation of what the Red Berets are trying to accomplish here. And it's the Apple is connected on both sides only by, through the heartbeat, just like our fight for healthcare on a national level using state-based legislation. Mm. We're, our concept is, is tonight all these single-payer states because already the insurance industry is already paying, you know, in all these states to fight us. So we have to combine our forces because we're not going to get it passed nationally, as we know with our current administration. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting because we've been watching this and it's like watching a race to some extent to see which one of the three of your states can like pull it off first. And it's almost like, yeah, what happens if everybody consolidates all of the energy into one state? Then what happens? You know, I, I mean, because this is it seems like every time it gets close and we saw it in California and we're seeing it in New York, like it seems to just not quite get there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a money issue is what we're fighting. And that's um, one of the problems we saw in New York um, was the Catholic diocese went to one of our senators who had shown support for the bill. And because New York Health Act um, has a right for a woman to choose, um, the Catholic diocese said, you have to pull this support or you don't get our money anymore. So the senator went to the campaign and said, I'm sorry, but I need their money. So that's what we're up against, you know. And similar problems are going to are in every state. And, uh, you know, I want I want single payer health care in my state uh, more than anybody else. Honestly, that, that would be great. But uh, taking a bigger picture look at things, I, I want a state to do it. Just any state, <clears throat> because that's the first domino, you know. So I, I think what we all should be doing is just staying alert on who's doing, who's the closest. And we all need to pile on every bit of effort we can, because once one state does it, we're going to see some really big, big movement, I think. I definitely I so. agree. Yep, definitely agree. Uh, and that's the thing about the non-corporate movement is that we get distracted very easily. Um, a lot of people love the drama, which makes it even worse. And trying to unify around concrete issues that have the overwhelming majority of support from people, I think is of tantamount importance to allowing this to succeed. Uh, I think overwhelmingly people know that there's a serious problem with healthcare in this country, but it's like most issues. It doesn't really hit the forefront of most people's lives until it directly affects them. And it is tragic that that's how these things tend to happen. We both think you guys made a terrific documentary. Kenny, we're going to play the trailer because we can't play the entire thing, but we want people to be able to see exactly When is everybody this? able to see this? Because this was something that I went, I, I just, I, I knew I, I wanted to watch it. I go to watch it. I'm like, oh, I can only watch it through the link. But when, when can other people watch this? Yeah, thanks for asking that. We're going to uh, release it widely over online through all the major streaming services on May 19th, on the same day that we premiere in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, and we will begin a state-by-state rollout for theatrical screenings at the same time. So we're nice. partnering with orgs all over the country to put together screenings and uh, trying to get into every major city and then moving on to community screenings and college screenings and just trying to get this movie in front of as many people as possible. Well, let's make it happen. Here is the trailer, the official trailer. Oh, wait, wait. wait oh. just one moment. Can I interject, please? Yeah. We have a trailer that has uh, Susan Sarandon's narration in there. This trailer is also brilliant. It's the more extended trailer. Um, but I'm just wondering if it would be possible to... Which one do you want? Which one do you... I can pull it. If you want me to put a different one up, I'm happy to do that. Oh, um, I mean, what do you think, Kenny? You're the director. What do you sure, think? If you guys want to... 
<laughs> if you guys want to just keep chatting for a bit, I'll find you a good link to the okay, cool. newest yeah. trailer, <laughs> which includes Susan's narration, a little bit of it anyway. Yeah, so I love it. They're both so good. They really are. The extended trailer is actually brilliant. So I don't really know why I um, jumped in there. Like, no, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you caught it. I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't notice the difference because I've seen the whole thing. So I don't know that I would notice the trailer. Yeah. You know, if you go to um, healingusnetwork.com, it is right on the homepage. And I don't know if that's easy to stream for you with your software setup. He could, um, yeah, he can. It won't be a hard. Okay. Uh, let's see. Healingusnetwork.com. Yeah, so guys, the movie is called Healing Us, and mm -hmm. it's a documentary, and it's really it's really quite good. It's, you know, it's sad, but I, I think that it's somewhat hopeful. Um, I like to find some element of hopefulness. Okay. Here we go. We are governed in American healthcare by the for-profit interests. In a typical year in modern America, approximately 68,000 people will die due to lack of adequate healthcare. Health insurance companies are in the business to make money and they will do whatever they can to avoid paying claims. The fallout is they would rather make a sale than take care of a patient. If me and Danny lived in Canada, if me and Danny lived in Mexico, me and Danny would still be living in Canada or Mexico. They're not just numbers, they're people. They're ripped from us because of our greedy healthcare system that puts profits before people. This is a profit-driven business. They can be sued if they are not acting in the best interest of their shareholders, not in the best interest of the patients. So the problem is greed. The Democrats and the Republicans are both in the pockets of Big Pharma and the insurance lobby. You're at a real tipping point. The people in this country know the system is broken. It's time for change. <clears throat> yes, it is. Well, it was time for change like, you know, 50 years ago or so. Yeah. But, but, you know, yeah, that I think it was really good. And, and you know, even though I know Amy, it's like hearing her when she gives her story is extremely powerful. Oh, yeah. The same for you, Scott. And the same for when everybody who has been touched by this greedy system. I was. You know, I don't normally um, share this story, but I will. Um, I had a near-death experience when I first moved down to Florida. This was in the fall of 2014. Uh, I had a really uh, gut-wrenching uh, pain in my abdomen, and I wasn't sure what it was, but I, I had laid down. This was on a Saturday night, and it was probably like 1 o'clock, but there was a voice in my head that said, you need to go up and you need to get up and go to the hospital. Just go. And so I did. And sure enough, took a few hours, but lo and behold, they discovered that, um, and I'll, I'll never forget this, the doctor walks in and he says, you don't know how lucky you are. Your appendix is going to burst probably within about 45 minutes. We've got to get you into emergency surgery right now. I made one phone call to my father uh, just to let him know. Uh, he knew immediately when I called, he said, what's wrong? said, um, I have to make this call and just let you know that if this is the last time I talk to you, I have to go into emergency surgery because my appendix is going to burst. 
And if I had gone to sleep, the doctor said I wouldn't have probably woken up in the morning. And so thankfully, I was safe. Uh, but that $4,000 bill that I got on top of having pretty good health insurance, you know, for most people, they can't pay that. And so if you can't pay it immediately, it's like credit card debt. It's going to spiral out of control to the point in which you can't pay it, and you'll be in debt forever. And so the idea that this system exists is sick. And yeah. when people in any way, shape, or form try to defend this corporate system that we're living in, especially when it comes to healthcare, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Most people aren't so lucky. And that's why this issue is so goddamn important. For sure. I think what you just described is becoming the foundational American experience. I mean, I, I don't know anyone who hasn't either had a similar experience themselves or someone very close to them has. And then in your situation, you're talking about something that actually threatened your life like immediately. And that that that's one level of like severity. I got the four thousand dollar bill for getting a, a, a maybe skin cancer thing checked out, right? I just said, hey, this looks bad. Maybe we should get this looked at. And then the $4,000 bill comes and I go, well, next time one of those things shows up, how, how am I going to feel about getting it, getting it looked at the next time? You know, I mean, this, uh, it, it's backwards. We are completely backwards of how healthcare should work. Uh, the powers that be are using the fact that we get sick and that we are mortal as a way to squeeze more money out of every every person with a heartbeat. And it's it it sickens me every day. Yeah, I would argue we don't have health care, actually. Um, no, yeah. no, we don't have health. We actually have like sick care. Um, and some of it's the best in the world for the people that can access it. Right. Like we do have like like illness care, disease care. Like we do have those things. We do not have health care um, in this country. And I, that is also, that, I mean, it's another issue, but uh, yeah, we have great, we have great care in this country for people that can afford it. Well, that, that's one of the problems we're always looking at is actually the narrative that is given to us by both parties. Uh, they're yeah. both saying, oh, health care is a human right. Yeah, the Democrats are saying the Republicans are trying to take away your health care by, you know, destroying the ACA. And the Republicans are like, well, no, the Democrats are raising the cost of your health care by putting all this red tape in with the ACA. Right. But neither of them are really talking about health care, are they? They're both talking about health insurance and health insurance mm -hmm. actually profits by denying health care. So what they're selling us is a contract that they will profit by not giving us our medicine yeah. and saying that the other one is trying to take that away from you. Yes. Both of them should take that shit away from us. Yeah. Yeah. One of the big healthcare uh, eye opening things making the film was how many of these really tragic, disturbing stories uh, that we've been able to gather from all over the country had to do with people who had insurance right? The problem isn't people need insurance to save their lives. Insurance <laughs> isn't solving the problem. People are dying every day in this country who have coverage. The coverage isn't, it isn't the solution, you know, and, th and that's the, the false bill of goods that we're being sold every day. 
Yeah. Well, that's the Democrats line. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if all if if we could at least just get a public option. Right. Like if we could just get the public option, then everything would just be fine. And it's like, no, because as long as it's a for profit system, it's not going to be fine. There's no way to make it be fine because you have incentives that are not the health of the people. So that's that it's those are it's sort of like I feel like about Jews for Jesus. It's like this oxymoron. You cannot have a for profit health insurance industry and expect it to care about health that that it's completely counterintuitive. Yeah. What I'm running into with people on the political right is obviously their biggest fear is they, they, it's government run. I don't want government run healthcare. But what I will say has become crystal clear for almost every one of them that I ever speak to is that they clearly see now that there is absolutely no point whatsoever to Aetna, Cigna, United, Blue Cross Blue Shield, they have no business in our system whatsoever. They do not add value, as is the conservative capitalist mindset of what have you, what are you doing to make this better? You are not doing anything. And the fact that big pharma, as it has been proven over the course of the pandemic, was never concerned about saving people's lives from COVID. It was about how much money can we extract mm -hmm. from this absolute tragedy. That's it. And so Getting them to kind of see that element is a huge shift than from where we were when Bernie first came on the scene in the spring of 2015 saying, we need a single payer healthcare system in America. And everybody, of course, went berserk over that by saying, oh, you're trying to make this into a communist country. Well, a lot of people are kind of getting past that point now. And I do think we're, we're reaching a new crescendo, if you will. The question is, can we start to bring enough people over to realize that what we're fighting for, a universal healthcare system through single payer, is the removal of the for-profit middlemen in between us and our doctors? Yeah, uh, that's why it was, uh, by the way, that was a stellar Bernie Sanders impression. Just, just when wow. he's in the studio, he puts on the mask. <laughs> well and he done. actually, yeah, it's actually really good. Yeah. Okay. Kenny, but Kenny, oh, hold on, hold on. Kenny, before <laughs> you continue, I just want to say, I want to say to all of you guys, uh -huh. you close your Laura, eyes. It's good. You make a really great, you do a really great job with those red berets. I can't wear them, even though it's good for my head, especially in Vermont. It gets very cold. <laughs> Scott, I just want to say love to you and your family. The fact that you have to struggle through this ridiculous, for-profit health system. Your son should be alive. And Kenny, you made yourself a really great documentary. I hope everybody gets to see it. And hopefully a lot of people will enjoy it. So there you go. There's All right. Name. Well, I'm taking the audio you just made and, and claiming it as Bernie, just so you know. Um, what I was about to say, though, was that um, your point that you raised is, is why it was so important to me to include the voice of Dr. Joe Jarvis in the film because uh, ultimately what I wanted to do was make a film that was not another echo chamber piece. I don't need to talk about, wow, we need universal health care to thousands of people who know we need universal health care. I want to expand that conversation a bit bigger. And Joe, uh, it, what makes him so unique in this conversation is he is a legit conservative. You know, he refers to himself as a free market guy. That's his thing. Uh, traditional conservative values, he is pretty dang pure to the letter of what that means. Um, and he makes a case that 
uh, single payer universal health care is uh, in line with Judeo biblical Christian morals, that it's in line with the Constitution, and that it's fiscally responsible. Three things that every single conservative uh, in America should be pretty excited about, right? That's it's what it's what they care about. So getting away from words like government run and looking more at like fiscally responsible, ethically and morally right and constitutionally sound will be what I think shifts that conversation and you know makes this more of a I mean, ultimately, what I want is that moment in in uh, Bug's life when all the ants link arms and realize <laughs> there's way more of us than there are of them. This should be the cause that does that. Yeah. You know, this uh, that the numbers that I share in the film, the 70 percent of Americans support a single payer system, 59 percent of Republicans. That was those numbers were gathered before the pandemic. It's higher now. It's got to be higher now. It's higher now. (laughs) You know, Um, so we're it's ripe to happen. And the only thing in our way are politicians who are taking money from the insurance industry. And that is it. The people are ready. Yeah. I've been saying since, you know, you know, I was running and everyone likes to know what your top issues are. And, you know, there's so many things that need to be done. And obviously let's take the baseline of getting the money out because that's the baseline that allows all other things to be possible. But taking that out, uh, healthcare is the single greatest thing that would change the most lives in the fastest amount of time and make the biggest difference. And it would also help the economy in ways that I just don't think people understand. The, the concept of people not having to stress about this, that will add money into the economy. Now, if somebody's not stressing about their kid's medication, maybe they can afford to take that trip or get a new car or whatever. I don't know, whatever. Like the whole concept of healthcare would change the most things like in the quickest amount of time than anything else. And then any one policy or start a business. Like, I think, I think that's another talking point that we should be having with conservatives is that what is this doing to American innovation? Right. How much more likely are you to go out and do something risky and start a, like start a, a great idea. Right. If you don't have to worry about losing your, you know, help the medication for your daughter. Right. Um, not to mention once you start that business, hiring people, right? You actually want to bring people in and grow something, be a big part of the growing economy, create jobs. You have an incentive not to do that right now because of the healthcare burden on employers. So, yeah. I would just like to tag on to that. Just a a few more words about uh, Dr. Jarvis. Um, Because I'm, well, it's, it's actually interesting that so many of us involved in this film at the core of it um, actually have either are from Utah or have connections back to Utah. Um, but being raised in eastern rural Utah, it gives a sort of special uh, link to myself and uh, Dr. Jarvis. And I just want to say that throughout the, the making of this film and the sort of different locations where uh, Kenny... Um, showed up to film and where we organized, um, you know, Dr. Jarvis has, I think, you know, a certain, like he's, he's founded uh, common sense Utah. So they're 
preparing and doing all of the groundwork for launching a ballot initiative in 2026. So everyone can kind of dispense with this um, uh, idea that we're only going to try this in, um, you know, uh, on the coast and in these kind of liberal strongholds. Uh, They're doing a lot of groundwork. Um, But the point is, is that, you know, he might philosophically feel or just just kind of looking at all the roadblocks to federal um, to national improved Medicare for all. It's not that he doesn't support it. It's that for 30 years, he's been lobbying his legislators and even run for office. He's written books. He is literally someone who has walked the walk and tried everything. So when he saw the Red Berets and saw this documentary starting to happen and had come out as um, one of the author of the month, um, book club authors for whole Washington. That was the, that was one of the connective pieces that we were able to then uh, get Kenny uh, and the film team in touch with Dr. Jarvis. And the point is that like he traveled to Washington DC and marched. It was the first time he'd ever gone to like a demonstration like that. So while he might feel that, um, you know, the ballot initiative and sort of it's more feasible and it's probably going to be something that, uh, the floods, the floodgates get opened through one of the states. Um, he is still there, you know, at all of these different actions at the D.C. March for Medicare for All, uh, at the protest in Nancy Pelosi's district. Um, he showed up in solidarity in all these things. So out of all the people in this kind of real grassroots movement who we when we say fight on all fronts or we've got it press on all these pressure points because the fact is actually none of us know (laughs) how we don't actually know there's a line in the movie about it about nobody no one has written a script but you know that's something that Dr. Jarvis says in there no one has written a script for this so we have these different strategies uh, that are presented in the film uh, so that it gives people who do get a chance to see it lots of different pathways and ways that they can get involved in this movement. Um, but I just, one thing I really love about Dr. Jarvis is he, he really is just very open-minded to, we don't know how this is going to happen. And, uh, you know, and the idea of solidarity that, you know, so much of the left likes to talk about, I've actually seen that tangibly in action coming from this fiscal conservative and conservative Mormon um, public health physician. He has exhibited more solidarity than what I typically have have seen in most of the leftist movement. Uh, I'm just gonna say that. If you don't know uh, many conservative Mormons, I grew up with a lot of them, so I I know them well. to see Dr. Jarvis marching literally arm in arm with transgender activists on the streets yes. of San Francisco, yes. it's un—it's completely unprecedented. There, there's there's not a universe where that exists anywhere else. So um, I wish he could be on the call with us tonight because that if there's anyone who's an example of what um, solidarity should mean, it's definitely him. So, yeah. There's no question that... Um, there's a lot of distractions that are thrown in our way all the time. Um, you don't see enough people in almost any political circle that really get caught up in this particular issue. Yes, 
We know people are really caught up with a woman's right to choose. Yes, we know people are really caught up with trans rights. We are. We know people are really caught up with the Second Amendment. These are all wedge issues. There will always be division. There will always be a reason to say that I stand on this. I stand with this particular segment of the issue. Others with a with a different area. This issue of healthcare is maybe the greatest unifier of any issue that we have. And that's why they move heaven and earth to never allow this yeah. conversation to ever take place. Yeah. Because I think that's know. why the wedge issues exist. You oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You know, yeah. I, I am a, I am a firm believer. I, I'm a civil libertarian through and through. I think everybody should be allowed to live their lives as they see fit. I have no doubt whatsoever that when stories like Dylan Mulvaney and Anheuser-Busch come to the forefront, it is a means to distract us for another week or two or however long they can stretch it out because it doesn't allow us to talk about something that's going to be agreeable to the overwhelming majority of people. But the second, the conversation becomes universal health care. The only thing that they really were able to do against Bernie that unfortunately works because the layperson doesn't understand basic economics is how are you going to pay for it? Well, it's actually very easy to pay for universal health care. It's about half of what we're spending right now. And mm-hmm. if you want the, you know, if you want the Cadillac package, that might, you know, cost a little bit more. But all, all jokes aside, there is no excuse not to pay for it. None. One yeah. third of the costs that we spend on healthcare goes into somebody's pocket as profit for doing nothing. Yeah. It's a scam. It's a dangerous scam. And at some point, you got to wonder what it's going to really take to rally as many people as possible. And that's why I am and will always be extremely grateful for that class trader of the highest order, Susan Sarandon, who <laughs> has no reason whatsoever to be doing this. She's worth at least $50 million, if not more. She really is of the upper class of society. And yet she chooses to not only advocate for this, but to be in the streets for it, to never show up an event dressed like she's a rich person, but that she is a person of everybody. She is the every person that could be suffering from this on any given day. And that is extraordinary. And how she continues to put herself out there and the fact that she lent her voice to your documentary only speaks more so to the person that she is. The tragedy of it all is that Susan really is the outlier of outliers in that world. A lot of people at that level are not sticking their neck out the way that they need to. And I would wonder from your perspective, because I have no doubt that you guys have approached a lot of influential people to try to get to try to say, listen, look what Susan's doing. Would you like to be involved? I'm like, I don't know. It's probably not good for my career if I do that. I'm, I'm curious as to what the feedback has been like without singling anybody out. What, what has that been like? Yeah, I think um, what what you're raising right now is a real testament to the type of person Susan is. Most people of, uh, of we'll, we'll say her colleagues, right? Um, the the only way that you're going to get them involved in something that has, you know, somewhat of I don't you might call a social risk factor involved, right? Sticking your neck out there for something you really believe in. The only way you're going to do it is with a whole lot of money. Okay, like like way more than a documentary like ours could ever shell out. Uh, They all are handled and controlled by other people who are 
responsible for controlling their image. Okay. And I probably myself as an individual probably couldn't have got Susan myself going through the traditional channels of uh, SAG and her um, talent agency, um, which all are filled with really nice people. But again, their job is to kind of protect people like Susan from people yeah. who don't have enough money for what she's worth, right? The reason why Susan is in healing us truthfully is because Scott Desnoyers reached out to her. She knows she is so connected to the movement. She knows who Scott is and cares about his story. And when she knew that it was important to Scott, that this film was important to Scott, she told her people make this happen. Let Kenny through the, through the gateway more or less. So, um, it, 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 that's a testament to Susan and her, I mean, she's very true to her values and it's also to, to Scott, um, for being someone who's so respected through this whole movement because he, yeah, he's so true I, to his values. I, I can't say enough about Susan. She's been absolutely amazing. She's amplified some little tiny uh, host tables for the New York Health Act at the AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention Walks. Yeah, I might get 50 people showing up or 100 people showing up at my table. She's amplified those walks for me. I mean... And if you go to Susan's bio, the first thing you see at the top of her bio before actress, before activists is mom, you know, and I think that's why, you know, she cares. She knows what it's like to worry about your kid. You know, it's I'm sure the other, you know, higher ups, you know, they have children, but Susan really relates and that's the best takeaway I have from her I mean she's just amazing yeah yeah I actually yeah. met her once like a very very long time ago at a hockey game it was game six of the Stanley Cup and this was in Vancouver and she was sitting a cup it was the Rangers were playing in the it was game six and she was sitting a couple rows in front of us and she was as friendly with everybody as could be and quite lovely I must say so I'm just saying but it is I actually no, please I invited her to an action in New York for in front of AOCs, and she said yes. She showed up, and I was also supposed to be at that action, and I was late and didn't get to meet her. <laughs> there was never any any question at all, probably um, from one of the very first uh, meetups with Kenny, like or when we first started talking about just making a, you know. Who would be if we were dreaming really yeah. big? Who would uh, narrate this? That was our pie in the sky dream. That was our our pie in the sky. Yeah, because um, I mean, yeah, she just. Uh, well, obviously, I don't need to say any more than what people already know. She's just, um, you know, a fearless, um, independent voice and and movement voice, and uh, it. I, I guess it feels a little bit like. Um, Poetic justice, in a certain way, it's a very um, reciprocal, uh, symbiotic thing. Is how it feels to me that um, that after so much um, blaming and smearing of her by the establishment, that um, now she gets to be the voice of Lady Liberty. And I mean, and yes, she has done this for us, which absolutely 
lifts and amplifies this to such a, a beautiful degree. So, you know, Susan, if you see this, thank you so much. But oh, if but she also, sees this, I'd be so excited. I don't know. I mean, I've said it a few times, I'd love to have her on, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. But, yeah. but, it, but it, it just feels to me like um, that, you know, her voice, like, like she deserves to be celebrated as the champion uh, for these causes that, that she really has been to the movement. So it was never any question if we were able to, to get her um, to do this, but she was absolutely, she was my heart choice. Mm -hmm. And I think, right. you know, a lot of ours. So that, that part. Um, and there's just so many incredible people in this, in this, uh, I wanted to ask movie. you something about one of those people I saw that we've actually had on the show a while ago, and that was Sharif. Mm -hmm. And and we we haven't really touched on that at all. But I know that one of the things that he was working on was basically going the human rights avenue, going the human rights approach, and filing like a lawsuit, like an with the international like court about the human rights violation of people in this country for not having health care. And I, when I saw him in that, I was wondering if you guys had any sort of knowledge on what the status of that route is versus going through, you know, state legislature. Yeah, um, you really should have Sharif on to give you a, yeah. okay. the best feedback on that. He's he's a he's an amazing person. Um, uh, one of the many people who we interviewed actually for the film who doesn't end up in the film as just is the nature of documentary filmmaking. Um, but man, someone who has an ability to mobilize, bring people together and make stuff happen. Sharif is so impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, but what I would say is the most important, I mean, listen, Amy Valella, Scott, uh, Justin Jackson, uh, all the people that you interviewed, the one person who stands above the rest, no questions asked, is Wendell Potter. And the reason is, oh, is because he is God, the yeah. guy. He is the guy who represents the for-profit system. He knows it as well as anybody. He knows the scam inside and out. And his voice, the louder it's able to get out there, to basically say, yeah, I became a multimillionaire working at Cigna by making sure people couldn't get health care. I can tell yep. you exactly how this works. And I could, you know, again, I couldn't live with that on my conscience. Well, I don't know how other people do it, but I certainly think that if more and more people were just able to understand, it's like this whole, again, and as our, you know, our amazing supporter of the show, Double K pointed out, you know, we have to be able to, we have to be able immediately be able to say, how do you pay for it? Because that has always been the argument. It was the argument from day one, the second it was getting talked about, even though we know that the overall cost of healthcare through a universal system is exponentially lower than what it is right now. And we don't even have full healthcare. So this whole idea of being able to explain the system away, Wendell really does an amazing job of just getting right to the heart of the matter, which is it is a system designed to make money at the expense of killing people if necessary. It's that simple. Yeah. Uh, he he became such an important part of uh, the overall narrative of the film. I feel very, very lucky that I got to uh, have that opportunity to film with him at his office in uh, Philadelphia. Um, he is another another part of the film that has resonated well with more conservative-leaning audiences uh, in our test screenings. Hearing from someone 
who, well, who they see as a, a trusted authority, right? Just because of who he is, who was in corporate America, uh, who was making very, very good money doing the corporate America thing and turning on it because of, again, values, ethics. Um, that's the kind of message that uh, just resonates across party lines. So I'm really happy that we have him in the film. Yeah. I've enjoyed having him on every time we've had him on. He's great. Like he's just, he's, and he does, it adds a whole element of credibility when it's somebody who stood to profit and still decided that this is just amoral. He also provided like my favorite five seconds of the movie. He has this kind of very cheerful optimism. Like you can tell Mm -hmm. he believes we're going to win. He really does. Um, And he believes in all possible avenues for making that happen you know he's not one of these people who's tied to just one my way or the highway kind of thing and uh he is sort of near the end of the movie he says something to the effect of this is a david and goliath sort of situation but david can win and he smiles you know yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's always it, yeah it's almost like he's looking at the like a like a talking to the insurance giants like and yeah. us right but like like he literally looks um, right into the camera yeah he, he has this kind of stoic demeanor the whole time mm-hmm. like he looks like your professor from an economics class or something yeah. and and he finished he says but david can win and then this big yeah. grin comes up on his face and i'm like oh i believe you i yeah. absolutely believe you you know that's my favorite maybe my favorite part of the movie is he makes me believe that we can and will succeed. And the reason why David can, and I believe ultimately will win this fight, it's just a question of when we get our act together. Because the one thing that makes healthcare different than the environment, unfortunately, we live in a world where people, as much as they say they want to change, are still dependent on fossil fuels. As much as people say that they want criminal justice reform, They equate it way too much with this idea of safe neighborhoods, which has everything to do with the economy and the infrastructure that we have and the the, the differences why things are the way they are. Uh, Living in New York and California, two prime examples, or, you know, living in Seattle or any place surrounding would understand. And then there's other issues. But the one issue that is unifying across the board, across the board, is healthcare. And almost everyone at this point I think if they're being honest with themselves, knows that it's a broken system, it needs a massive overhaul, and we have plenty, not one, not two, not three, but dozens and dozens of examples around the world of fully developed countries that do not have a GDP that could even sniff ours, that provide universal health care to their citizens, and they live exponentially better lives than we do and longer lives and longer healthier more satisfying we're very unhealthy uh we recently had on dr steven bezrushka he has a book out recently called inequality kills us all and really examines the health of our country and or actually the unhealth of our country i should say and it's really um it's abysmal I, I, it's not even like, it's so bad. We're, we're actually 51. We're 51. And yet we're the richest. Like, it's just that, that's, it's, it's just crazy. 
in terms of our overall health. And he was basically, we're talking maternal infant mortality rates, life expectancy, things that you look at when determining the health of a country. And we're 51. Yeah. That yeah. really does say a lot. And but think, I'd like to think, what, what's, is there any other category that we'd be okay with being number 51 in <laughs> as Americans? Is there anything like that seems so absurd to me. Right. Right. And the thing is, to me, that's always one of my biggest selling points about healthcare to people that are conservative. It's like anybody who would sit there and be like, go red, white and blue and America's the best. How are you satisfied with that? How are you satisfied with being bested by every single country that has better health? Like, it, it's really like, it's shameful, you know, when you tell people really we're that far down on the list, you know, and it's, it's embarrassing. I would think like, if you're so proud of this country, that's, that's embarrassing. Yeah. And I think that the perfect place to wrap up the conversation is right now, I'm sure you're all aware that the democratic party as is, no surprise, uh, is moving heaven and earth to protect a current president that has no interest whatsoever in moving in any positive direction on health care. It's actually, look, there's a lot of failings to President Biden, but the fact that he has done literally nothing on health care since he's been president is beyond shameful. And now they really want to circumvent the entire electoral process by, and listen, you know, Jen and I have had this conversation. It's like, yeah, they're shutting down the debates. They're not going to stop there. It's going to get even worse. So the question is, what do we do? Because one of the things that made Bernie so powerful is that he really was a rallying cry for the universal healthcare movement. It's obviously gone stagnant to some degree, but we obviously have efforts that are being put forward in states like New York, California, and Washington. What do you guys see as being the more or less the solution right now as campaign season ramps up. But it seems like they're going to do everything they can for whomever is going to attempt to run in the Democratic primary. We certainly are not seeing any real movement regarding health care on the GOP side, which is, again, unfortunate, even though some of them are starting to come around and really get this. How do you see this, this movement continuing to evolve into a more well-oiled machine to coincide with your documentary, as well as the attempts within the movement uh, to make it uh, even more effective than it has been as of late. It's got to be the states. It comes. It all comes back to this central question. Um, it's a big part of the movie, right? Laura, you're on the edge of your seat. Go ahead. I am. I am. I am. Because I've got to say, like, that uh, if we're if we're getting ready to wrap up, like, this is the call to action is healing us network. And, you know, um, we, well, the film team, Kenny and Maddie, you know, they, um, you know, tried to get the film into different independent festivals. That's, that's probably something that's for a different conversation, but, um, uh, essentially, you know, where we're at, where we are, where we are now, which maybe in the end is going to turn out to be just exactly perfect as it should be because we've got to independently move this movement piece out through the Medicare for all movement. And so we just really want to let every individual with a story, every healthcare organization, every independent media, everyone who knows that our system is working well for the people that it's intended to work for, but broken as hell for the rest of us. Um, 
go to healingusnetwork.com and uh, get linked in, get involved because. Because. <laughs> so sorry, Ed. Do, do you have me back? I should have just worn the the uh, the headset. Um, we will kind of um, we'll be able to demonstrate through the premiere in Tacoma and then the showing the free screening in Seattle on May 19th. And we'll, I'm sure have some live stream and plenty of ways that we can kind of demonstrate it as the template. And again, not the template. That's the beautiful thing about this is that everywhere where these screenings are going to be organized, uh, but we certainly are setting it up as an organizing template is that, we bring our particular community needs around the showing of this movie. So this is how we're going to kind of create and grow the movement. So in the case of Washington State, we'll have our allied organizations to include whole Washington there to talk about what are the next steps, what are their calls to action, um, you know, and just even more local to Tacoma, we have the, the um the Washington Black Panther Party coming, um, Home in Tacoma, who are doing a housing initiative, housing is healthcare. So this is a way that we can bring um, partners, uh, partners of healing us, and everyone can be a partner. There isn't any um, prerequisite. It's just watch the film. Uh, if you're on board with getting healthcare for everyone across this country, um, join us and get involved. And this is the way that we can kind of bring our local calls to action um, right there as we see the movie. We get to open this and the movie is the conversation starter. So whatever, you know, as we watch this, whatever people pull away from it, um, we get to talk about that and people in the local community get to say, well, here's what we need. How are we going to do this? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And it starts those local conversations because there is something towards the end i think it might be brianna joy gray who talks about it's not it's it's going to need to be a groundswell it can't be traditionally it's not going to be something probably that's traditionally organized mm -hmm. so here we go we, this is <laughs> this is the thing and if if you know marianne williamson actually has a moment because she she came and spoke at the uh the march for medicare for all in dc so there's a moment in the film where she's seen uh, speaking to the crowd in DC in support of national improved Medicare for all that day. Um, there's all, there's ways for, for everyone to be included in this movement, no, regardless of strategy. If this, your strategy is we need a general strike, voting is not going to solve any of this. No, we need to do direct democracy ballot initiatives. Uh, we need to pressure legislators. There's, there's literally like so many options that are presented in this film. Hey, knit, <laughs> knit and crochet, you know, uh, preferably do it in public. And, you know, Jen, thanks for wearing that today because I, I know it's hot as hell down there. But uh. I'm fine indoors. It's all good indoors. <laughs> and if I ever were traveling like somewhere where I needed a hat, um, I, I would be happy to wear it. But yeah, no, you bring it with you. Here. I would uh, definitely. The one thing I'd like to add to what Laura just said is that I, I think the message of the film is to get involved where you at, how you can right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. all right? I, I, I think kind of the old narrative that we're phasing out 
is that this is going to be taken care of for us by our senators right. and Congress people. And, right. and our power is by sending those emails and making those phone calls. And that's pretty much all you got to do. No, we need to use our voice where we're at, however we can. And your voice might be crocheting a beret or knitting a beret. It might be standing, you know, organizing a march and it could, it, it could be anything. Right. Yeah. And what you have at the uh, healingusnetwork.com website is connections to organizations in your area who are doing things now. Right. And so what we wanted is for people to watch this movie and go like, oh, no, this is my thing. I want to do something and I want to do something more than just calling a congressperson. Go to the website, click on your state, find out what's going on and get involved. Use your voice, whatever it is, because. If we can even get a county, and I know that sounds crazy, but there are counties in California right now that are trying to pass a single payer bill for their county. It, it'll it'll be the little pebble that starts rolling down the mountain that turns into an avalanche. Yeah. Um, and you, yeah. And you've got to keep an eye on it because you know they're going to try every which way to make it fail. That's and they, they do. Mean. And they do. And yeah. failing is okay, too. That's the other part I want to get across is like here – uh, whole Washington's made three or four goes at it now and they're not giving up, but every time they fail even is another chink in the armor of the, you know, healthcare industrial complex. Uh, we're, we're demonstrating to everyone around us that we're fed up and we want to do something about it. And we're going to stand out on street corners and shout and yell, and we're going to wear red berets and we're going to write songs and we're going to craft really cool wooden hearts and wear them wherever we go, Scott, and, um, and be heard, right? Like that's the biggest disconnect is people aren't being heard. We all are feeling the pain of this every single day. That, that a bug's life moment where we link arms is, is making our voice loud enough that you can't go anywhere without people bringing up the fact that this sucks. This hurts. Yeah. You know, we're dying. Yeah. And we yeah. want to be treated like humans. Hmm. The consensus. I would just say lastly, uh, on calling your congressman takes less than two minutes. I called Andrea's yes. cousin's office so many days in a row. They knew who I was when I picked up the phone. They're like, hey, Scott, <laughs> tell them where you're from. <laughs> you know, your, your name, what district you're from. And I want you to support single payer universal health care. That's it. You're, you're done in two minutes. They don't even they don't even watch you on the phone, so they're going to try to get you off quick. So just pick up the phone and call your your lawmakers. Well, uh, yeah. I can't say that if we called our lawmaker, that yeah, that no, would make in the yeah, world, no, she don't want to hear from me. She yeah. don't want to hear from me. No. Wasserman Schultz doesn't want to hear from anybody for that matter. No. Um, but what I will say, uh, which I think is important, and this is what we advocate for on our podcast and have been ever since. We had this crazy idea to challenge the former queen of the Democratic Party for her power. Um, the only way that this is going to work is through a robust labor movement that will coincide with a lot of the things that are going on right now, whether it's with Starbucks, whether it's with Amazon. Frankly, Walmart really has to get their act together, their employees. Uh, but the grassroots energy towards labor and the other thing that I hear constantly from people on the political right is that they can't stand unions. 
but they absolutely support labor. I never hear one of them ever say, oh, and hell with labor. That's never the argument. The argument is they don't like unions, but I think the problem is, is that they assume that all unions are the same. I always say, just look at 2016, which unions allowed for the rank and file to vote and which of them decided for the board to vote? Anytime the rank and file voted, they endorsed Bernie Sanders. Anytime the board voted, they endorsed Hillary Clinton. Mm. That's all you need to know. Labor is the key, and labor is what will drive a universal health care system into a state house and what will ultimately drive it across the United States. The work that you guys are doing is exceptional. We can't thank you enough because it is a thankless job. Uh, universal healthcare is the future. It's just a question of when we get there. And Can we have like a screening? Like how, I mean, once this is out, you're just going to make it available to everybody. Because I was thinking like, we have a really nice little group of people here that have their little healthcare as a human right organization. And like a lot of the people that we're friendly with, the activists down here would be really psyched, you know? Absolutely. And for anyone who's watching, who's like, I want this movie in my area or with my group, there's a button on the website where it says request a screening. Okay. Just go and fill that out and we will do whatever we can to get the movie to you. Okay, cool. Wonderful. Well, with that said, Laura Fielding, Kenny Ballantine, Scott DeSoners, you guys are fantastic. The documentary you, is healing us. Make sure that you check it out. May 18th? 19th, we premiere in May Tacoma 19th. and release online on the same day. Okay, May 19th. Check it out, guys. Thank you so much for coming on this evening. Keep doing what you're doing, and we will definitely be in touch. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Much love. Anytime. So I guess I hit myself by accident. You removed yourself. I'm like, where did he go? I'm here by myself. Yeah, you're by yourself. I'm all alone. So you know what? I would like to actually have, have Sharif... Uh, shrugs come back on the show and talk about that because that's very interesting approach to the whole concept. Um, and for people who don't know what I'm talking about, Sharif Shrugs, I think it's Shrugs is his last name. Um, and he is somebody that you can see in the movie. And we had him on and the approach he's taking towards tackling the healthcare issue is filing a case um, in international court uh, that it is a human rights violation in this country that so many people are dying because they don't have healthcare. Um, so that was, and, and it is, you know, according to like other countries, it is actually a human rights violation. So, so it's not, a, is it like, it's not a crazy way to go. Um, and we haven't really looked at that again. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, there, look, we have been supporting the Red Berets since the very beginning, um, you know, we can't say enough about those that really put themselves in harm's way to try to fight for a universal system in this country. Uh, you know, for me, uh, from my personal experience, from what most people have probably gone through at one time or another, it's a it's a devastating reality for a lot of people. It With really very, is. very few exceptions. And I yeah. mean, very few exceptions. Everybody has a problem with the healthcare system. Now, the exceptions are, of course, the majority of people that are um, over 65 and that have Medicare are happy with that. But I'm talking about the people that are not in that age range, right? Like the majority of people have constant problems and issues regarding healthcare. We have insurance and it's constantly a battle with every little thing with the insurance company. Like it is, it, 
it's constant and it's still expensive. And it's, I mean, I really don't know anybody that's not in Medicare that doesn't have some sort of problem with their healthcare. Well, the fight goes on. Um, so obviously there was a major development today um, and it's on two fronts. Uh, the big one, of course, is Tucker Carlson has been released. Uh, finally, released. He's been released into the ether of media. Yeah. Um, so he's uh, so Tucker Carlson has been fired uh, from Fox News. Uh, why he was fired is we don't really know. No, we don't know. Um, there's a lot of theories behind it, but we're going to play you a quick video clip from Forbes, which is going to show you the actual financial ramifications for Fox for firing Tucker Carlson. This will be interesting. Check this out. Now, Tucker Carlson was not the only person who was fired today. Don Lemon was also Can fired. we just for a second question compare the money? So let's compare the money lost to Fox through the Dominion settlement and compare that with no, the I was, money. Well, I was, I was going to address that. What I was what I was saying regarding – there's really nothing to cover regarding Don Lemon. Don Lemon was fired because he's he doesn't bring any value to corporate media. He's a complete waste, and he finally. What's he from? Was he a sports person at some point? Like where? Did no, he, he was like on. He was like on Entertainment Tonight or something like that. He was like an entertainment host, and like oh. they became a news host. Um, you know, Don Lemon didn't drive any ratings or do anything of that nature. Tucker Carlson was far and away the most successful by ratings and revenue, the most successful corporate media host in the nation. And why he was fired, uh, there are many 
avenues that you can explore. Uh, the most obvious is that he was going along, however, directly or indirectly, with the the election was rigged. And as we've said, you can say the election was rigged, but what was being said, which is obviously crossing the line, is they were rigging the voting machines. And so Dominion sues Fox News and wins. And well, they settled. They settled. But there was serious. Maybe that was one of the conditions of the settlement. Maybe one of the conditions of the settlement. I don't know. I have this feeling that in, in, you know, in some due time, we'll know. And it'll be dependent on how stringent the NDA is that Tucker may or may not have signed and whatever the deal is or is not as to what he can and cannot release. Again, I feel like this is the kind of thing he'll write about in a book deal in a few years. Well, you're the attorney, so basically his whole concern is going to be, you know, what type of an NDA, how much that's going to relate to his contract. And yeah, what I don't settlement. know. Apparently yeah. he was making $35 million a year. That's what he was getting paid. Well, you know, I'm not exactly worried about how he's going to eat, so, you know. No, and I could care less. I mean, listen, as we've discussed, um, there's a lot of things to s- dislike significantly about Tucker. But there are times where he will say uh, what is, you know, what others are not saying when they should be saying it. Yeah. And don't he's had some right. decent takes. He's had some yeah. decent takes, that's for sure. And I I don't, you know, watch that, but I just know because I've seen clips double, of him have decent takes. But Double K is probably right. He's very likely going to end up doing something yeah. that's going to elevate his net worth even more. It, perhaps start his yeah. network. He's going to do what Donald Trump was supposed to do if he lost the election in 2016. Yeah, this isn't going to affect Tucker Carlson's like career. Um, No, Don Lemon's yes, Don Lemon's very well could be totally over. I actually saw clips of him where he was talking about women not being in their prime. He was making Mm, a comment. Did you see that? That wasn't. That wasn't good. The whole thing. This man is sitting at a table of middle-aged women. Yeah. And considering, about, and considering the fact he's a gay man making that statement. I mean, it, this man is sitting, and I didn't know that, but it doesn't matter, at a table of middle-aged women talking about women that are past their prime. Yeah. You got to read the room, pal. You got to read the room. The other thing that I that I just thought of, and I'm wondering if you think that it might have something to do with it. I mean, again, I still am convinced without question that this is all financially motivated. Uh, everything you know, Tucker, is financially motivated. Everything's fine, especially with well, the fact it that it could saying- be a sponsorship issue. It could be okay. it having something to do with you know. It, it's obviously it was something that happened that there is somebody in the higher pay grade echelons that made a decision, and yeah. the, and Tucker Carlson was hung out. Now it's not going to affect him in a. I mean, again, I think he's going to be fine, but yeah, and maybe at some point we'll know. But yeah, somebody with a higher pay grade. Uh, I think Fox is going to suffer for this. I do. I think in a very in in a way that they never have before, and it's going to be interesting to see. Big dumb animal. Thank you so big much. Big dumb animal. Such a, you're yeah, such a big dumb. Animal. I I think it will be interesting. He definitely was their big draw. So what does that mean? And and right now, what they've said apparently is that what's going to be in that time slot is there's just going to be rotating different. Um, Fox hosts. Uh, so, you know, I, I, and again, I'm not, yeah, double cam of Tucker Carlson, but he has had some good takes. And, and when he speaks anti-war and that audience gets to hear it, I, I like that. 
I, and again, it's not really a question, Chris Frank, if whether or not the Fox News gets somebody worse. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't. I mean, listen, the worst person at Fox News was not Tucker Carlson. It's it's Sean Hannity. He is the worst person at Fox, period. Um, but the difference, Tucker of course- Tucker was the most reasonable. Tucker was the most reasonable person. When it came there. to certain issues, yes. But Tucker was also, yeah. he, he definitely played into not just the culture war, but the, um, you know, the white fragility war going so far as to even, yeah. you know, take it into the white supremacy line, which again, it's everything drives ratings. Um, but the, but the thing about Tucker was that he was a very unique personality. He ran a very unique show and he was also willing to say things yeah. that most people were not willing to say. Yeah. That's and what I mean, Mario. Tucker definitely acted weird. There's no question. But the other thing about Tucker was that he was willing to call out the military industrial complex in a way that others were not willing to do. Now you could say that And they Tucker, let him. Yes. And they let him. And you could say that Tucker was hawkish, if you will, on China, but Tucker's hawkish on China from an economic standpoint. He's somebody who isn't saying, let's invade or, or let's go to war with China over Taiwan. That, that's not who he is. Um, Tucker is, who's a devout Catholic, has been very adamant about how much he admits that he effed up regarding the war in Iraq. And he believes that he's been paying for it ever since. So even when Trump was president, Tucker did go out of his way to halt this notion that we should go to war in Syria against Bashar al-Assad. And he was willing to, I mean, I think there was like a moment where he had like a, a late night broadcast that apparently stopped Trump from actually dropping bombs on Damascus. It's like, I mean, this is like serious stuff. His support of Julian Assange and the First Amendment is pretty impressive. And now- yeah. One would say, well, how do you know that Tucker Carlson is just saying this and isn't just, you know, like playing to a crowd? Well, that may be true, but the fact that he gave a platform to Chris Smalls at a time when they had already they had just won the unionization of the first Amazon warehouse in the country. And Tucker obviously tried to get him into, you know, a pissing match with AOC and, and that. But Chris did a fan, phenomenal job of redirecting the conversation into the economic war, living wage, universal health care, things like that. And by the end of the conversation, you know, Tucker said, look, I'm not I, I don't support unions. I, I just don't. But what he did say, which was key, was. And if you haven't seen this interview, I highly recommend that you go and check it out. Chris Smalls and Tucker Carlson, he said, what, we, what you are doing for the labor movement is a good thing, and it's something we could use more of in this country. And I thought that that was a very powerful message. And clearly what Chris Smalls was saying resonated with him to some degree, even though the line on the conservative right is always anti-union, anti-union, but never anti-labor. And I think that that's become the distinction between the two. And that's the key. Uh, Tucker Carlson will land on his feet. Fox News, maybe not. It's going to be interesting. CNN firing Don Lemon, that's a cost-cutting initiative because there's no ratings there. Thanks, Mousetrap.
Thank you very much, Mousetrap. That's really nice. As much as I condemn the that the coded white nationalism, no question, behind a lot of Tucker's content, it's sad to see one of the only occasional truth sayers in yeah. mainstream media go. Yeah, well, uh, the truth yeah. is they let him stay even though he was anti-war, and that's almost unheard of. So he actually was able to do that. You know, something I wanted to, that we haven't really had somebody on to talk about is we need to talk about Taiwan. We need to talk about what's yeah, going on here because yeah, there's, we need there's to have somebody come on and talk about that. Yeah, this is starting that, to be a little bit concerning to me. Um, with with us baiting them, and I feel like that's exactly what we're doing. Where I feel like we're baiting China, yeah, and and nobody's really talking about it. And and since we, I feel like we covered when Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan, and we talked about it then. But there have been some recent things. That, that was one of the biggest. And and that and and the thing about the, Pelosi's visit to Taiwan, my understanding is that Biden did not want her to go, and she did it anyway. So here's and, the thing. So we just had somebody else was just there, right? That's the whole point. So a week ago, um, you had House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman uh, was in Taiwan, right? Like this is this is a group of congressional dele- delegates went to Taiwan, and so China actually has sanctioned that Congress member for that visit. Like we're starting to really bait them. Like I, I just I don't understand why it's like we're really just pushing it. Well, I think that this is, and, and Double K, um, I, I don't think people are mental morons. I think that that exists within the, that's the sycophantic sphere of politics. Here, I think people Nicole are, Texas, um, he's a Republican from Texas, visited Taiwan from April 6th to 8th to discuss weapons deals between yeah. the U.S. and Taiwan shortly after the sensitive meeting that drew China's ire. I wonder why. Can you, well, that also like, speaks to, but that also speaks to the danger of the of the continuing of the Ukraine war, and the fact that Russia and China are now more or less locking arms. Now, whether that's temporary or whatever that's going to lead to, I can't say because I'm not a foreign policy expert, but I try to be as informed as I can be. Um, there are people that can speak to this much better than we can, um, but yes. Um, there's no question that a lot of the issues we deal with with China is all related to economics. And that has a lot to do with the decisions that have been made with our policies over the past several decades, especially NAFTA and normal trade relations with China, which have the biggest impact. Um, you know, our decision to outsource the overwhelming majority of our jobs uh, when it comes to manufacturing. I don't think uh, people understand what's really going on here. You know, there was, no, there was recently I, a three-day military exercise where China surrounded the island of Taiwan in retaliation for our House Speaker Kevin McCarthy being meeting with the Taiwanese president. Like we're really pushing it. Yeah, this is really not good. It's no. not good. And <laughs> it's not good at all. This is the and, one country you really don't want to mess with. It's just not smart. And it's not smart because it isn't a question of whether we could beat them militarily. It's whether we can beat them economically. At this moment in time, we can't beat them. And that is a dangerous animal um, to be fighting at this moment. And of course, uh, we can go on and on, as we know. Well, who do you think we could talk to? Like, who would be a really good person to bring on and talk? Who's a good- I would have to think about it. There isn't anybody- I'm trying I mean, to listen, think of maybe, maybe we that. need maybe there's somebody in DC. Uh Colonel McGregor, 
Lisa, if you can uh, message us that information, that would be great. Uh, I'm not familiar with um, with that person, um, but we have people that are part of the military that, um, you know, that could help us with that. But yeah. if you are so inclined and you enjoy our content and don't agree with us on every issue, but certainly appreciate what we're doing. Patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a wonderful supporter of our wonderful show. You get the Lulu sticker too as an intro. If you are so inclined, you may want to become a $10 a month patron. And if you do, you will not only get the Lulu sticker, you will also get the, who we believe is going to be the next president and vice president of the United States, Mansion Parliamentary in 2024, Jordan Cheriton of Status Coup News underneath his United Corporations of America flag has that wonderful bumper sticker to show off. But if you are feeling extra generous and really like our content, as you can see, I have the Generational Change jersey on, really silky smooth and awesome. $25 a month patrons get one of those bad boys. But if you really don't want to put your information on the grid, we all know a lot of people are not too crazy about doing that. You can go over to Cash App, dollar sign, Gen Change, chip in, and we are very appreciative. Any and all contributions make a huge difference to our show. Yeah. We're very grateful if you do. What do we have coming yeah. up? We're small and mighty. We are small and mighty. And on Wednesday, we will be speaking with Bacardi Jackson, who has worked, Jen. You could speak more, but probably better to Bacardi. Yeah. So, guys, Bacardi Jackson is, and I do not know her exact title, but she's an attorney with the Southern Poverty Law Center. She specializes in juvenile justice. And she is somebody that um, is really working to fight that school to prison pipeline that is a real thing and is really fighting the good fight on behalf of our juveniles. So I'm excited to have her on. Uh, we She was the speaker at our League of Women Voters Spring Luncheon, and um, I really thought she did a great job. So I thought she would be a really good guest to have on. And she is in Florida, so we will definitely be talking about certain Florida um, issues in criminal justice because we have many of them. Uh, but we'll talk about general stuff as well. We definitely will. And obviously we appreciate each and every one of you that came out this evening. Uh, the conversation was great. Of course, supporting universal health care is just, you know, personal support is obviously just one step in a very long fight that we are going to be dealing with for quite some time. And with that said, if you are not currently subscribed, make sure that you are. Make sure you smash that like button. Make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that you click the bell. Make sure you do all those wonderful things. Um, very interesting, Bruce Carter. Thank you for pointing that out. I was not aware of that. But then again, I don't listen to Tucker Carlson, so I can't speak to that. Uh, yep. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Obviously, a lot more stories will develop over the coming days. Um, we obviously did not cover near a Tandon this evening. We can I do just that on another night. Like I yeah. um, that's well. Thankfully, it's not something that's been confirmed yet. But Susan Rice is stepping down from her post. I wonder like, why. You never know. I um, no, I'm serious. But it I looks like really Neera Tandon is being considered as a replacement, which is just unbelievable. But she hey. Try again. Try, try to. All right, whatever. Try and fail until you succeed. No, <laughs> not with her. No, no near a tandem. No. no Definitely not. So, Mario, thank you for the quips. Double K, always appreciate your engagement. Lisa, great to see you. Bruce, thanks for that information. For everybody who was in the chat this evening, again, a big thank you to Mousetrap, a big thank you to Big Dumb Animal, a big thank you to Chris Frank, 
We appreciate Each and every one of you. Doug you. Grinberg's always great to see you. Joe Dahl, thank you for being in labor. It means a lot. Uh, Doug, great to see you, pal. Uh, great to see each and every one we of you. We have some a lot of good shows brewing. Yes, and and the and Fran, Fran was awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for your amazing commentary. So, for those of you guys who again have tuned in this evening, we are obviously very grateful. Make sure that you do make a point to uh, like and subscribe, as we said. But of course, we also want to make sure that you guys do get this out there, and that enough people will see it and that it will continue to help us grow our channel. We are small but mighty, but we are making our way. We are. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye, y'all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.